Hello, hello, and welcome to the Holistic Fitness Podcast, where you'll learn to get your goals without burning out. I'm your host, Lori, and this show isn't just about movement and nutrition. You probably already know that exercise and nutrition is important for your mental and physical health and well-being. It's also about stress management, mindset, shedding those limiting beliefs, and doing some childhood trauma work while you're at it. Today, I'm super excited to be joined by Laura Patricia Martin. Laura is a trauma and relationship specialist and the founder of Healing to Happy. This global movement is taking the world by storm as it liberates the modern woman to step into her relaxed feminine energy and allows the man to step into his leadership without the triggers of their past. It all happens at quantum speed and it doesn't even really make sense until you're in it. She's here to change the way that we date, communicate and connect in this modern modern world. How are you this evening, Laura? I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. No worries. I'm really excited to have you here as well. And I just love how I love all of your content on Instagram. So I'm happy to have you here. I always start with this one question. I feel like anyone that gets into your field or my field is typically because they've had a personal experience in their past that triggers them to go on this journey of helping to heal others. So can you start by telling me why you've chosen to heal people from their trauma? Yeah, so I have had one of those lives where big T trauma was my baseline. That was kind of the thing that followed me around from rape to domestic violence to addictions to eating disorders to I lost my mom to addiction unexpectedly. I've, you know, like all the things, all the things kind of added up and I took it out on my body and had a lot of health issues, a lot of chronic health issues. The first business I built was when I was living abroad in Asia and that was around IBS anxiety. And that was a very successful company, gut-brain connection, metabolic restoration, things of that nature, because I was so fixated on wanting to fix me. Because I was like, I am so sick. I am very small. Like I had such a like deep eating disorder at that time that turned into orthorexia because I was so afraid of everything because my body kept fighting against me. And it wasn't until I was sitting with my naturopath at the time and she's like, do you want to talk about how your trauma is related to all of your health issues? And I was like, (laughs) what trauma? Like, what do you mean? No, bye. And then went and did a candida cleanse, which a lot of us do because we don't actually want to look at our shadows. And I remember I was giving a workshop to like a couple hundred people and standing in front of them. And I had this mysterious rash for the last eight months that had been on my entire backside of my body that had crawled up the side of my, like through my armpit and then onto my face. And vanity one, it's like one of these things where it's literally looking you in the face and you're like, I guess I will, I've tried literally everything at this point. And at that time I was aware that I had disordered eating patterns. I knew there was something wrong, but I didn't want to accept it. And so kind of went down that route and ultimately surrendered to it, got into studying. Cause for me, if something is going wrong, I like to study it. I'm a very left brain person. I love science. I love to understand things from the inside out. And so I went back to school to trauma, uh, study trauma, trauma support. My background was like originally <laughs> to be a sex therapist, but then I was like, I don't want to explain the way that I think and stand on stage speaking to 20 year olds and doing these things. And my family gets a good kick out of that now. Cause that's exactly what I do, except not 20 year olds, people that actually want to listen to me speak. Um, and so went down this whole journey and like trauma led to relationships and really looking at my own past where it was like narcissistic men, abusive men, um, domestic violence, things of that nature. And realizing everything that I was taking out of my body was ultimately then being sourced into my relationships. And so you can't do that cerebrally. It's really getting in the body. It's healing the body. And I just started to pay attention to what was going on and feel at home in my body because for so long for, I mean, a lot of us can relate to this where it's like for my body was a foreign object. Like it was safer to disassociate than it was to be in my body. And working my way, getting back into my body, helped me heal my relationships, which then helped kind of create this global movement, global brand that I was just kind of sharing as I was going. Like I like to make the joke. I'm like, I'm an accidental entrepreneur. Like ask me anything about like actual business stuff. I'm like, we make it up as we go along. Like we have no idea what we're doing, but we're really good at what we do do, which is relationships and nervous system and somatics and things of that nature. And so long-winded version of I had a lot of things and I decided to stop playing victim and started to take responsibility and my goal was to change the world and I really believe when 
we heal ourselves and heal our relationships, that's how we can do it. And that's kind of the mission that's been going forward from there. Wow, Laura, thank you so much for sharing all of that information with me. It You've been through a lot, more than the average person. So I'm not surprised that you are holding so much trauma in your body. There's so many questions I want to ask, but the first one I will is big T trauma. Can you explain what big T trauma is? Yeah. So big T trauma is, uh, well, first let's talk about trauma because a lot of people get this confused where they're like, oh, trauma is war. Trauma is what I just explained, rape, domestic violence, drugs, loss, things of this nature. And yes, it is. That's big T trauma, right? These are the things that we often think of and they shock our body. But what trauma is, is trauma isn't the event. Trauma is what happened to your body in the midst of the event and it gets stuck there. It didn't complete the cycle. It didn't go through flight, flight, freeze. And you're kind of stuck there, which is ultimately all of us. We all have triggers. We all have personality traits. We all have habits. Like your habits are your triggers. The reason you have, like, if you ever say to someone, I don't like their personality, what you're saying is you don't like the way that they learned how to defend themselves through their entire life. So give the compassion that you pray for, because I'm sure we all look at these things. But then we look at little T trauma, which is you had food poisoning one time and now you can't eat a certain food or you're crossing the street. And one time you almost got hit by a car when you were like two years old and it didn't, you don't even remember it, but your body, now you have this like kind of fear. You had your heart broken. You know, some of them can be big T traumas, but it could have been back in eighth grade. You know, like these little events start to add up and what science is now uncovering, especially since these last two years when we're really looking at mental health and looking at the nervous system and starting to pay attention to the mental health crisis that's happening, we're seeing that these little T traumas, these little events that no one was paying attention to for so long because we were so distracted by things actually have the same impact that these big T trauma events have. So it's it's never saying like, oh, I've never experienced trauma. It's like all of us have. Every single person on this planet has experienced some type of trauma. That's how we get these uh personality traits and stuff such like that it's how it's how we work and look at it which often since you know I haven't experienced I'm doing this in air quotes air quotes for listeners I haven't experienced trauma and I haven't experienced these big war or rape or whatever things that happen to me therefore I can't look at this it's like if you're having something that is deep within your soul it's a habit it's a belief system it's something that's getting in the way of you having the love life that you want the body that you want you know the familial relationships or friendships that you want that is your trauma response that is the habit that you want to start to look at and so it's giving air to all of these things and stop putting so much weight on really these big t little t it's just it's just these things and it's we love to like weigh weigh life where it's like is it big enough to look at it it's like does it bother you then yes like go look at it but yes those are the difference between the two big t little t trauma Mm. I love the way you explain that it reminds me of I once had the closest I had to a dad commit suicide and um, I remember calling in sick to my boss and saying, I know I sound ridiculous because you've lost a child, but I need to call in sick because I'm so sad. And I remember something she said to me, she goes, your trauma is your trauma. Like, don't ever weigh it to me. The worst thing I've been through is different to the worst thing you go through. And just the way that you explained it just then made me realize that you know, we shouldn't be weighing our trauma against each other just because it's big T or little T. Mm-hmm, exactly. And I'm sorry for your loss. That is, that is always really hard. That's life. He's still with me. Mm-hmm. Um, something else that called out to me was a lot of people saying, oh, you know, I haven't had any trauma. You as a coach, how do you help people who aren't necessarily taking accountability for their limiting beliefs and their trauma because they just don't believe it's bad enough to work on? Yeah. And to be honest, if I'm being completely, I don't work with those people because I'm not forcing anyone to look at things they don't want to work at because that's not up to us. I get this actually inside of my masterminds or in my programs where it's like, everyone's idiots and no one's looking at things. I'm like, no, that's not how this, this is not allowed to like make you angry, but it does. Cause when you become enlightened, you're like, why aren't you looking at your shit? What are you doing? Like, why aren't you paying attention to this stuff? And we start to like project this onto people when when the time is right, if something gets to be enough, like you are tired of your own shit, that's when you get help. And everyone knows that. It's when you start to take radical responsibility for your own fucking life. 
your life will start to change. And it's not up to any of us, even if we love this person, we see them, we see drug addicts do this, we see alcoholics do this. I saw this with my mother. It's like, I literally sat in front of her two months before she passed. I'm like, if you don't stop, you're going to die. Two months later, she died. It's one of the, but we cannot save anyone, right? And it's not our job to convince anyone they have trauma. If they want to live in a bubble and they think they don't have trauma, God bless their cotton socks. I wish I could. Like, it's one of those things. But like, if someone comes to me, they've been ready. Something happened and it's for the field that I work in. It's usually after a breakup. It's usually after a divorce or they met this like turning point man or person that made them aware of the childhood traumas that they have not been paying attention to. And then they're ready, right? It's something usually happens that shines a light that you're not a perfect person And you probably have some shit that you should look at and let's start talking about it in micro moments. Like people start at different levels, of course, but that's what I would say is like, we don't convince anyone. And this is like, it's fresh on my heart because it was just happening inside of my mastermind where it's like, everyone's idiots. And why don't they know this? And I only have this many people that are around in my circle. And it's like, no, 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 no. You are not better than anyone else just because you're looking at your stuff. You're just at a different level in the way that you make other people want to look at their stuff. You don't point the finger and scream at them. Have you ever had someone scream at you on the street about going to church? Does that really make you want to go to church? No. When you see someone that turned their life around because they went to church and they just seem like a better person, you're like, hmm, what Kool-Aid are they drinking? And you start to kind of paint that pathway. That's the same thing with self-development. It's like, don't scream at people and put them down to get them there. It's like, they'll get there on their own time if they desire to, if that's in their path of this lifetime. If not, just focus on you always. Mm. I love that. I love that analogy of the church as well. Because if someone's screaming at you on the street, immediately you're like, no. Exactly. <laughs> you don't even know what they're screaming. And you're like, no, I don't want, I don't want the cookies. Exactly. That just came to me. I was like thinking, I'm like, what is the most annoying thing on the street? I'm like, those people that screaming about church. You're like, I definitely don't want that. Even though I do, I go to church all the time. But it's one of those things. Totally. Something that I've observed as a fitness trainer is once people start training and becoming the best version of themselves, they either do the trauma work first and then, and then the body comes or they start doing the exercise and then they start working on, on their demons, so to speak. But I notice a lot of breakups, a lot of breakups once people start to level up. And you kind of alluded to that, you know, you can't force someone else to do the work. Do you have any observations with relationships once people start to do the work? The person either does it with you or you realize they don't. But the thing that I see often, especially in our world, and you're so right, like I always call, I'm like, I'm like, it's either going to be self-development, spirituality, or fitness. It's your gateway drug to all three of them. Like you'll get there eventually. (laughs) There's no way you're doing one without the other. And if you're doing it in a grounded space, I did health in a very not grounded space. But um, in relationships, when you're stepping into these things, often what I see is like, I'm doing the work. Why the fuck aren't they? And it's again, doing this, like if I put you down enough to do it and make you feel really small, will you somehow do it? And it's like, I get it because we live in a world where we think that works where it's like, let me shame you for not doing your homework, bad kid, pout on the nose, you know, slap you with a ruler, whatever it is in the time period that you're from. Like that doesn't actually work. Positive reinforcement works for every fucking human being. And the reason relationships tend to fall out there is you're trying to beat them, beat a dead horse with something they don't want to do, or they're not there yet. And you have to take radical ownership over the fact that like, I do the work for you. I do the work for me. I choose are you rising to the potentiality of which I now feel I'm a match at? And I will give you time just because I started it last week and you're starting it. Like give them time. And that's, that's objective. That is entire subjective. That is entirely up to you. You get to choose what that time frame. I knew what it was for my last relationship. It was like, okay, I'm going to give this person X amount of months. If they catch up, if they don't, whatever they caught up, they started looking at quantum physics. It was different from what I was studying. It was very different, but I was like, that's your path. Like I, I, that's amazing. I'm so into this current partner. It's like, you know, he's already in that world. He had just started like a month before we met. I literally think that's why we met, but it's like, of course, and especially as women, to be honest. And cause that's who I work with women and male relationships. I mostly work with women. You have spaces to go to. You have that you have your girlfriends. Men don't sit around drinking wine, talking about you. That is not what happens. They don't have a safe space. Yes, men's circles are starting in this quote unquote conscious man is starting, but that's slid and far in between. Like when I say feminine energetics to my partner, he's like, what? 
Like he has no idea. And I work in this field. Like he has no clue what it is. Am I going to break up with him because of it? No, not at all. I don't need him to, this is another point of this. I don't need him to be my healer. I love him because him and what he does. I have my girlfriends for my, I have my masterminds. I have the programs that I do. I have the people in the programs that I do that are driving on with the shit that I like. Stop trying to make your relationship. your like healing container. They have to do the work and therefore it's not validated. It's like love the people for who they are and watch them rise and watch how your relationships continue to change. And if it truly does bring you back into your old version of yourself, because I know I've had relationships like that, where it's like, I was going to raves and I was partying and I was doing drugs and I was all these things. And then I started to get sober and I was doing these things. And it's like, yeah, dating an addict was not in alignment, you know? And it was like one of these things I'm like, yeah, I can totally, I can see you going to NA and getting sober and things like that. But this is not actually in alignment. I'm going to love you from a distance. I'm not mad at you, but keeping you and growing bitter to you up close is just ruining both of our lives. So I'm going to love you from a distance. God bless your cotton socks. And I have nothing bad to say about you. It's just, I'm going to remove myself from the situation because it's not in alignment and do it in that way. Don't pass trauma through your breakups just because they're not there yet. And you're going to belittle them for not being there. That's passing trauma on. That is not a conscious breakup. That is not kind. It's just sitting there and being like, this is just not in alignment for where I'm headed. I love you for what we've had because you led me to this chapter. They're there for a reason. There are no faults in relationships. Nothing is a mistake. Like everything is there for a reason. Like there are no mistakes in life. Never has been, never will be. It's just, they were there for that chapter and it's okay if they're not there for the second. It's okay. Like leave that so you can move to the next thing. And that takes such internal strength. Wow. Yeah. I love, I love what you've just shared there, especially around the letting the other person be themselves and not expecting your partner to be everything for you because they can't be your girlfriend, your husband, your accountant, you know, they can't be all the things. Yeah. Something. Oh, you go. No, that was all I was going to say is, yeah. Like ultimately I think we do this thing where it's, and I did this, I remember a date with my partner where he had just cooked me dinner and then he was like, we were eating and he's like, you seem like a person that would like have like a list of your future partner. I was like, yeah, actually I do. And he's like, let me hear it. I was like, fuck. And then I'm like, okay. reading it. And then in my head on the drive or like after he had left and I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, fuck, actually that's just a list of all my future qualities that I want in me. That doesn't require that partner to that. Ultimately what I want from a partner of other than shared values is ultimate acceptance for all of the shades that I am, all the personalities I go through because of all the self-development that I do and therapy that I do. Like, I just want that to be accepted that I don't know who I am tomorrow because I wake up every day a new person. I want that. And so that gift, I ultimately, like, that is what I teach with. Like the ultimate gift of love and what we ultimately seek is unconditional acceptance, true unconditional acceptance. And the only way to do that is to give that to you can't just take that and then expect them to change. You have to give that in return as well. Mm. Mm. Something you mentioned earlier was conscious breakups. So if someone was listening to this podcast, I'm a massive believer in not passing on trauma as well. And whenever I've broken up with a man, it's, it's how can I break up with this person and bet them to not be fucked up? Like, how do I be as nice as I can so they don't get fucked up by me because I don't want to be that girl? If I, you know, for the podcast listeners out there who have been doing the work and maybe realizes their their boyfriend, their husband, their girlfriend, whatever, isn't aligned, what are some tips you would give them to ensure that they're not passing on trauma? Yeah, it's sitting down and closing the container in a way of like what I really enjoyed from this partnership. Like this is what I did in my last partnership. It was hard ending. It was someone I thought I was going to marry. You know, looking at homes, doing the whole thing, like engagement, whatever. It's One, sitting down, like after the emotions pass, don't try and do this when you are heightened and that person is like, why are you leaving me? And you're like angry, beating each other. You know, I'm sorry. That's a bad way of saying it, but you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) yeah, totally. Like your little seven-year-old triggers are just having this little dinosaur war back in each other. After that has been regulated, sitting down at a coffee, at a place, wherever it is, and you were in this chapter together where it's like, what went right? What are you so thankful for this person? You know, what did you learn from them? Like genuinely, what did you learn? And what do you hope for them for the next? And this is the hardest one because you're like, especially if you're the one getting dumped. I was the one getting dumped. I was like, nothing. I hope nothing. And I'm like, that's not true. I was like, I really hope that you find yourself 
in this space in between. And he has gone and done the things he said he was going to do and whatever. But genuinely, like, what is the energy? Like, bring it back to you. It's like, what is the energy you want to receive? Kindness, love, understanding. Can you witness the thing that's really big for my brand this year is to teach people to witness life through another person's lens. We live in a very selfish culture right now. It drives me nuts specifically women pedestaling themselves where it's like putting down the men and they're not this and they're not that and I'm up here and da 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 and it's like who the fuck gave you so much power like no I'm not saying that you're not glorious and you're not a queen and whatever words that you want to use but it's like there is another human being right there besides you how do you if they're the one getting dumped if you were getting dumped how would you want this to go Go from that. That is going to look different for every single person because every person is different in partnership. And the thing is, you don't even have to do this with that person. You can have a conscious breakup, even if that breakup, if it's a toxic person, I've done this with my abusive ex. It's like, I can think being like, what did I really genuinely learn from you? What am I taking away from this? What do I hope for you in the future? I don't actually have to say any of this shit to him because I will never, but I can do that to release him from my nervous system, to do it with kindness, to stop holding the anger, to stop holding the bitterness. It's witnessing life through another person's lens and giving the compassion that you would ultimately pray for in those moments. Not, I want to be self-righteous. I want this to that. And like, that's very ego driven. It's like, until you can get to a space where your ego is a little bit dismantled and you're really coming from the space of an open heart, then have that conversation of like, this is what I truly desire. Like I respect and honor you and love you and all these things. And like, this is what I want. And it's going to hurt. It's going to be so hard. It took so long for my conscious breakup. Like it was one of the most heart-wrenching, snotty, rocket, crying sessions (laughs) ever. But there was no trauma past. At least on my end, I don't think so on his end. I mean, you know, I don't, who knows though, he can have his own narrative, but you know, to have that kind of story after also, it's like, what is the story you ultimately want to tell after? Even if you're not a coach, even if you're not in this space or whatever, it's like, you're still writing a story of your life. Like, what do you want that story to be in this chapter? Mm. Why do you think that level of empathy is so hard for people? Because we all forget that every single person on this planet is the main character of their own movie. We think we are the main character of everyone's movie. Why don't they call me? Why aren't they doing this? Why, they, why don't they get what I'm thinking? Why aren't they reading my mind? Why, blah, 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 blah. Like all these things we forget. Everyone is the main character of their own movie. When you come into partnership, now it's like when you're watching a movie and there's two main characters, right? When you're watching that love movie and whatever, and there's like, I don't know, they're both in the movie scene, make it out, whatever. But like they do it so eloquently that they're both the main character and they don't take away from the movie being the main characters, we forget that is what it ultimately is. Like one thing my stepmother said to me and it hurt really bad at the time, but it it still sticks with me where it was like, who the hell made you think you're so important when it was coming to me and I was obsessing about my breakup and with my um, abusive ex-boyfriend and I was thinking I was damaged and I was thinking all these things and he's thinking this and I'm thinking this and you know we come up with these narratives they're thinking this about me I have to rectify this image of myself and da 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 that we do and she sat there and she was like I hate to be blunt but like who the hell made you think that you're so important they probably moved on with their life sorry you know and like that's harsh advice sure but it's true. It is so true with everything where it's like, you are so important in your own life and that's perfectly fine. But there's another human being. This is why when you're dating, like stop seeking red flags, stop being this whole, don't ghost people. Don't just leave in the middle of dates. Don't not show like, be a kind human being, get met with the energy you want to receive in the world or give the energy you want to receive in the world. And therefore you will get met with that energy. You know, that that's how that works. If you're doing these things, of course, you're meeting the type of people that you're meeting in this world. That's just obvious, you know? Yeah. Wow. That was such savage advice from your stepmom. But it's, so true. I know. I was like, I was like, it's a little bit of a tender moment right now, if you didn't know. But yes. <laughs> and you deliver that concrete pill later. Thank you. Oh, God. But I still think of it. I'm like, thanks. Yeah. It's such good advice. So seeking red flags. I have never heard of that before. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. It's one of my like top posts on my Instagram right now, to be honest. Um, A lot of us are seeking red flags. Like that's dating. How many times you hear red flag, red flag, red flag. He does this. He doesn't do this. And it's like, who 
why did we stop looking for green flags? Like, I was so confused. Why did we stop looking at humans as humans and forgetting, once again, they have their own things. Like, if someone, you know, my my boyfriend sucks at texting. Oh, my God, it's the worst thing ever. It drove me nuts when we first started dating. I was going bananas. And then I was like, okay, actually, instead of getting mad at you and doing the thing that I'm sure every other person that you've ever dated in your entire life that has yelled at you about not calling or texting or whatever, how about I just ask better questions? Why don't you use your phone? Why don't you text? Why don't you do these things instead of projecting? And it was a choice for me to stay. I know not, some people don't like that, and but it's constantly doing these things where it's like, oh, he, I don't know, doesn't make this much money. He doesn't do this on the date. He didn't pull up my chair. He, you know, didn't open the door. He doesn't drive this car. He didn't dress in this way. He doesn't have these shoes. And it's like, all you're doing is protecting yourself because you think this fictitious man that you've wrote in the list in your notes phone, because I know we all did it, is there in the world. And we forget that it's not about that. It's about the journey to that. And it's again, sitting across the table and be like, instead of you actually having to be my husband, can I just get curious about you for a second? And, And what can I learn from you? What can I learn about you? Instead of why isn't he asking me enough questions? Why hasn't he done this? Why it's like, are you his mother? Like, what do you do? Of course, we're in the most loneliest time because we have the most protection around us because we're so afraid of getting hurt. And so we seek out red flags because we're so afraid of getting our heart broken. And it's like, I'm sorry. I get it. Broken hearts suck. But you always will be okay. When has falling on your heart ever been a bad choice? And you're resisting falling on your heart because you're afraid it's going to get broken. And then wondering why someone hasn't claimed your heart. You haven't given it to anyone. You've been seeking red flags and then belittling your partners because they're not doing everything perfect as you expected in your little fictitious narrative of your bromance movie that you have inside your head. Like, it's just bananas to me. Yeah. And what a great solution too by asking questions, you know, because especially with the money thing, it's like they're not earning amount enough. And it's like, well, ask the questions why they're not earning enough. And is it that they don't have the earning potential or they don't have the ambition? Or is it just that they're at the start of their career and in X amount of years with that sort of earning potential and ambition, they will. And then, you know, that's after you've decided what your values are. Like, that's such a great way to put it. And seeking those red flags certainly is a protection mechanism. Yeah, it's just your nervous system doing what it does. That's your amygdala, which is basically your guard dog in your brain and so you've been hurt before and they might remind you of your ex or your mother or your father or someone in high school and they do this thing or they smell this way and your amygdala is just going to go off like a guarding guard dog but if you're trying to change your habits it's sitting there and being like well this person is brought into my life for a reason because again no mistakes so what can I actually learn from this not that we have to stay with people that don't light us up but like saying there's no good men in this world or the dating apps suck or no one in my town is a good person. It's like something my mentor was saying. She was like, go on 10 dates and tell me there's no good people in your town. Go ahead. Because you're going to meet good people. 10 people? Are you freaking kidding me? Or 10 dates with, I don't know, break that up, three plus one, whatever, four people. Like, however you want to do it. Like, there are good people everywhere. But if you keep telling yourself everyone sucks or your town sucks or the apps suck, and they're going to suck for you. That's how that's going to work because you're telling yourself it's miserable already. If you tell yourself this is going to be the journey, like when I was single, that's actually how I met my boyfriend where it was like this whole thing of, I went on this like single girl summer after my breakup and I was like, this is going to be the fucking time of my life. Like I yes. so much out about myself. I like intuitively traveled. I'm like, do I want the beach? Do I want the mountains? Like, where am I going to go? It was this whole journey and it was like, where can life lead me? It had nothing to do with this like, any humans that I met, it was just like, how can I start to infuse more joy into my life? Can I rediscover who I am without my amygdala shooting things off and being like guard dog protection, whatever? Because ultimately you're protecting me from your nervous system. You're keeping me in my comfort zone. That's what your comfort zone is, right? You're keeping me in my comfort zone. My, my amygdala, anytime I would stretch outside of that, it's like, we don't know this therefore. So like, this is why we see a lot where it's like, oh, this really nice guy He's boring. I don't like him. Like it's these kind of things. And it's like, cause you're addicted to chaos. You're just like me. Got you. Like that's your amygdala trying to keep you safe. So it'll start to make up these stories of he's too boring. 
he's too safe. He doesn't have a background like mine. So therefore I can't relate to him. Like these narratives that start to go off, that is your amygdala at work. So instead of sitting there and projecting that that's a red flag, can you be more curious as to why this was brought into your life? And can you actually comfort yourself in that space by asking better questions? Hey, Holistic Fitness fam, a quick message from one of our sponsors, Ned. As you all know, I recommend good nutrition, movement, and stress management practices before supplementing so you know what type of supplementation that your body actually needs. For me, I supplement with very few products, but Ned is one of them. I'm a type A, high-energy, ambitious business girly with massive goals, and sometimes I honestly just need to chill out and relax a bit. I've found that both Ned's de-stress and sleep blends fit in with my busy lifestyle and ambitious goals, but I was honestly not a big fan of CBD products before trying Ned, mostly because of the culture surrounding weed. I just didn't want something that was going to alter my state of mind so that I became much less of a goal getter or less ambitious. That was until I learned about full spectrum hemp and their benefits. Ned blends a chock full of premium CBD and a full spectrum hemp of active cannabinoids. Ned's full spectrum hemp oil nourishes the body's endocannabinoid system to offer functional support for stress, sleep, inflammation, and balance. These products are science-backed, nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. All of Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil is extracted from USDA-certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Colorado. I'm obviously a big fan, but don't take just my word for it. Ned CBD products have over 2,000 five-star reviews, and they work with incredible partners in the medical field like Dr. Caroline Leaf, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, and Dr. Will Cole. Ned is providing Holistic Fitness podcast listeners a very special discount. If you'd like to give Ned a try, listeners get 15% off Ned products with the code Lori Lee, L-O-R-I-L-E-E. Thanks, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering a natural remedy to bring balance to so many people's well-being. What are some other ways you can intercept that guard dog in the amygdala? This is where understanding your nervous system is really freaking important. So you can understand the three parts of our nervous system. One is our ventral. So this is where you're connected, where you're empathetic, where you're kind, you're in community, you're making connections, you're doing these kind of things. And then we have our sympathetic, which is very known nowadays. It's our fight or flight. It's this whole, we're like, but it also can be you're really excited. I live here most of my times because I'm a very excitable little puppy, but (laughs) it can also be where you're fighting with people, your protection, you run away you're that kind of aggressive. Like I used to have really bad anger. So that was me. And then dorsal is when you shut down. This is, I call it my Eeyore phase. Like it's when you're disassociated, it's when you're in depression, it's things like that. But it can also just be when you get your period and you're kind of just shutting down for a week and you're like, close for business right now. Catch me in five days, you know, and moving through that kind of phase. It doesn't need to be good or bad. It's just noticing in your body. So in my programs, I walk people through these practices where it's like, are you in your ventral? Are you connected? Are you grounded? And this is something really important when you're going on dates, specifically be in your ventral because what state you're in is matched back to you, right? So I can talk like this and I can be really excited. I'm sure you can feel it. And then you start to feel these things in your body and you're like, oh my God. And then I can talk a little bit slower and I can be here and I can ground. And in that space, you get the energy that you're mirroring to the world. So it's really important to pay attention to your own nervous system, which only comes from you being embodied. It only comes from you doing those practices of slowing down and recognizing, okay, so I just made this behavior. I just was triggered and I yelled at my partner and, you know, I belittled them and I acted in this way and I reacted from this wounded space, whatever it is for you. Instead of just looking at the situation that happened, try to think back, not in the midst of this, because this isn't going to happen in a dysregulated body. I recommend 36 hours because that's when your hormones will balance back out. Then look back at the event and be like, what did I feel in my body before I had that reaction? Continually do that. You're not going to catch it every time. That's not how triggers work. Unfortunately, the only way we heal triggers is by getting triggered and being aware of them. And so we, this is why it's like for me, high level support and all that kind of stuff. Cause you can talk to someone in the midst of it and you're like, da, 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 and they can bring you back down. And so you're sitting in this space and then you look at, okay, so I felt it in my chest or I felt myself. I knew this when I had an eating disorder, I could tell when my eating disorder brain was acting up when I started to feel so frustrated that I couldn't choose anything on the menu. 
right? It was my reaction. I would start to get angry at the people around me. I was like, there's nothing to eat. Da, 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 da. And I was like, your blood sugar is low. And I started to catch that because that was my symptom. It was like this sassy little thing would come out and it would ultimately get worse and it would turn into the disorder eating patterns. And I was like, okay, so the thing before is me getting sassy about the menu. Cool. Okay. What's the thing before that? And so it started with just recognizing the sassy. And then I was like, oh, it's like the tightness in my chest. That's that. Okay, cool. So I can catch it before I even get spouty. And it's, it's a long time. Honestly, it's not something that like you hear this podcast and you're like, I am healed and all that kind of stuff. It is a continuous journey of recognizing, oh, shit, I just reacted from this triggered seven-year-old space again. Cool. How did that feel in my body when that happened? Cool. What do I want to do next time to bring safety? And it's just rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. And you continually do it until you become a Buddhist or a Buddha, whatever it is. <laughs> a monk. A monk. That's what I meant to say. Do we ever become monks? <laughs> know, right? I'm like, I don't want to. It's fine. <laughs> You've mentioned it twice. Tell me more about the uh, seven-year-old child. Yeah. So all of us are traumatized seven-year-olds running around in human shells. That's it. All the things that we have. <laughs> That's <laughs> it. Casually. <laughs> but so we, all of our childhood trauma, like the things that build our personalities and our habits and our things that happened majority before the age of seven, but what I know to be true and what science is catching up to. So are the relationships after that. So are the environments that we've been in after it. So are the lessons, so are the things that we learned and our nervous system starts to mold. And this is usually happening up into the age of 25 when your prefrontal cortex, which is where your uh, ventral state is, that's where your like cognitive thinking, your connection, all that kind of stuff is made. It's your 25-year-old 20, uh, brain will be finished then. And that's kind of when we all have had what those moments where we're like, fuck am I doing? Shit, I should go do something. And we start to actually start to question things because now all the ways that you've learned about yourself, how to protect yourself from the age of seven that have been built up, you're like, now I'm going to spend the rest of my life dismantling all of that. Cool. Thanks. Thank you for that. That's a weird, twisted, kinky joke that the universe God has. Got it. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> These things, but that's what it is. So like when you're recognizing someone that is often in their triggered state or you're fighting with someone, like it's taking that pause. And you can see this. If you think back in your relationships with people and the fights that you've had with them, it's like, oh, none of that response was actually an adult response. Like none of it. You're like, oh shit. Like that was your seven-year-old trying to defend yourself. Damn. Okay. Well, I'm 30 years old. So let me go help that seven-year-old. Let her know she's good. She does not have to be in this manipulative, feisty, little sassy self that she is trying to survive. Like, I get you, girl. girl I got you. But we're 30 now. We're okay. And it's kind of regulating around that. But most of us, and you see it, it's the manipulation, it's the lying, it's the cheating, it's the stealing, it's the things that normal adults that would be regulated wouldn't be doing, but seven-year-olds that don't actually have the behavioral, they haven't learned how to color in between the lines yet. That's where they're kind of growing from. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. What are some strategies you'd use to chat to that seven-year-old self? I just think she's so cute. Like that's literally the way that I talk to her. Like anytime it comes up, I'm just like, you're so cute. There she is again. Sometimes I don't catch it. But instead of going back, and this is the thing that's really important because we go back and usually we'll get mad at ourselves. You know, I got in a fight with my boyfriend. Fuck. I reacted in that way. Fuck, fuck. I'm such a fucking idiot. I'm, you know, we get mad. What? Would you talk to a seven-year-old like that? Absolutely not. It's sitting there and you're like, all right, you didn't know better, so you couldn't do better. It's okay, so what do we want to do next time? And it's genuinely coming from that space because if we're compounding a negative emotion with a negative emotion, we stay in that negative emotion. If we compound it with a good emotion, it's kind of neutralized. If we compound good emotion with good emotion, that's where celebration comes from and gratitude, you know? So if we're looking at this negative behavior that we didn't like, slapping yourself on the wrist is not going to get that to go away. It's going to compound that negative emotion. So it's kind of coming in and doing the same way you would. Like, literally, this is what... <laughs> I had a nightmare last night for like the first time in, since I was like five. And like, I literally woke up and I was like hugging myself and I'm like, we're okay. Just like how my mom used to do. <laughs> like, it's okay. <laughs> but it's like little things in this way. It sounds so silly, but it, there's a reason all the studies talk about the inner child and how you want to nurture it. It's it's with love and grace and compassion. Yeah. And it's a good way to kind of speak to that part of yourself that you're not proud of. We all have these parts of ourselves that we're not proud of. And if we kind of detach it from ourselves and, you know, that's our seven-year-old self and then work on it that way, that's that's just a really smart way to look at it. Yeah. 
It gives it so much, like we forget that the voice in our head, because it sounds like us, is in us. You know, like mm-hmm. give them voices where it's like this reaction state and whatever. It can be this like little kid voice and you're like, not me. Like the fact that you can think about a thought means that isn't your thought. Like mm. the power now is so good with this or untethered soul. Like it's like you can witness your thought, which means that's not your thought because you're witnessing it. So whose voice is that really? And how do you kind of want to sit in that space and heal from there? Yeah. Our thoughts are so ridiculous as well. We literally, uh, I can't remember what you said, but we were talking talking about um, the stories we tell ourselves. And a lot of the time, these unhealed stories that we tell ourselves, uh, like they'll never happen. Like we're just creating this stuff on repeat that's not going to happen or it's not the way someone feels about us because they're the main character in their story. Exactly. And isn't that so funny? It's like you're sitting there and that's how the body works. Your body will feel something and then your brain will make up. That's a hippocampus. It's an autobiographical memory resource. So your hippocampus tries to resource memories about yourself of like how this is going to work. And it all of a sudden is this fictitious story that you're like, that would actually never happen in my life. That's not the case here. And then you get to catch that and you're like, okay, silly little chicken nugget. Thank you so much. We're good. We're safe. We got it. Like, Silly little chicken nugget. I love it. (laughs) Something you mentioned in your intro, um, something that I mentioned in your intro was about the masculine and feminine kind of energy. And just when you were speaking before about a lot of women saying, hey, I'm a queen, which we all are, but men are also kings. Um, And I want this, I want that, we're up here. And that sort of energy. And I feel like that's on Instagram, on TikTok a lot. In terms of feminine and masculine energy, what does that look like and what's healthy and what's not? Yeah, what's unhealthy is pedestaling any of the sexes. Like we are equal power. That's it. And so if you're sitting there and it's like, well, I, he should do this and I, this is the way that is. It's like, mm, that's still you doing something. That's from a wounded space. And true feminine energy is in true receivership. We have both feminine and masculine. You're going to do things. You're going to receive things. That's the way we work. And so you're sitting there and it's like, I would like to receive these things. What would that feel in my body to receive that? It's not putting anyone down or having any expectations on anyone else in this planet. It's just how would this receive to, how would this feel to receive this? And then if we're in our masculine, it's the hustling, it's the overdoing, it's the manipulation, it's the, you know, kind of, beating ourselves until we get somewhere. It's all these kind of aspects of ourselves. And so when we're looking at like, oh, I'm better than, that's a wounded space. You're not better than anyone. I deserve this. You don't technically deserve anything. You know, you're human. You have clothes. You're eating. You're pooping. I'm sure you have a roof over your head if you're living. Like all these kind of things. It's like other than the human needs, technically you don't deserve anything else. So. If you can sit in this in full gratitude of like, like everything is just more like everything around us is just more like this is so glorious that they did this and they picked me up in this way and they opened the door and they paid for this like, oh my God, like all these things. But like to expect that, that's quite silly. Granted, you can have a standard like my standard is I don't pay for anything. My standard is a romance and the things that I do, but that's because I have a standard about me. Right. And it's, I don't need someone else to do that for me. I set that standard within myself and I watch the world match me. That's how that works. And so when we're looking at these things, if it was like, oh, I actually don't even do these things for myself. And yet I expect someone else to do it for me. It's like, huh? Like to nourish yourself well, to move yourself well, to take time off, to rest, to be in the feelings of being feminine, of resting, of having the world take care of you. Like that's what that means. But if it's like, why I deserve this and this kind of stuff. And I'm hustling and I'm doing this and I'm putting people down. And we live in this very entrepreneurship, women hustling to the top by putting down the man and doing this stuff. And it's like, no, we can do both. Like we don't have to put anyone down to get to where we want to go. And that's what I'm seeing a lot of. It's just this like, well, I have all this armor built up about myself and I'm scared that someone will hurt me. That's all I hear in any of that stuff. I'm like, you are so afraid of getting hurt that therefore you put yourself on a pedestal so high. And yet you're wondering why you haven't experienced love. And at that state, it's like, you can go after your dreams and your goals and your things. But the way that I teach it is like, you have this bougie, savage version of yourself that gets a lot of shit done. And then you have this living sanctuary side of yourself. And the living sanctuary side is the part that's in partnership. 
that's that part. You have your masculine that gets shit done, but you have to learn to turn that off if you want to be in a relationship with, granted, some people don't want this, but 80% of us do, a man that leads you, a man that protects you, a man that claims you and rouses you and these kind of things and really understanding the energetic side of yourself. Mm. Do you think that most women want a man that leads and protects them? So according to science, 80% of people do. Mm. And what is it that men want in a relationship then if that's what we want as a feminine energy? So from a standard point, right? The current modern man, if they want the three archetypes of a Madonna, which is like nurturing and taking care of, and this is actually the archetypes that I teach. So I call it the living sanctuary. That's like you're nurturing, you're taking care of, you're doing the stuff, not like a housewife thing, but like not mothering. This is where we get it wrong. I'm going to take care of you. Good Bob. Let me fold your knickers and do these things. Good boy. Here's a star on your forehead. Like no one actually <laughs> fucking wants that. Don't do that. We see that way too much. It's this just woman. It's just this like caring woman. You can think of it when I'm saying it. It's just like they walk in a room and you're like, yeah, that's it. You're grounded as soon as they're there. It's the divinity. It's the quote unquote goddess, even though I don't really vibe with that word, but I can't really think of another one right now. It's that <laughs> kind of energy. And then they want this like queen, I call it the bougie savage. They want someone that has drive, that actually motivates each other, that gets things done, that has inspirations, that isn't just sitting around watching TikToks, like is actually building something and doing something. They want that. And then I call this other version of sacred slut. They want this sexual, passionate energy. And so it's claiming all three of these archetypes within us. But oftentimes we get hung up on just one, right? It's the mother, it's the slutty it's the businesswoman. And it's, if you can pull all three of these into you, that's how we keep relationships, not just get relationships. Everyone's really good at fishing. Got it. We can go, we can fish, but how long can you keep that relationship going to have success is what we ultimately want. Yeah, exactly. I love the way you've broken that down into the three. How do you balance? And because I can imagine a lot of women listening to this and saying, well, it's all well and good to be super happy and super grateful and to like honor men and say all the happy, positive things. But how do I balance that with the standards and with my values and with what I'm actually calling into my life? How would you help people balance that? You be that. And it's okay. Like, if you want, for example, with my partner, right? I came here last time and things got in the way and we didn't have a date night before I left. I simply said, that really matters to me. You know, like having a date night where I can connect to you, like before I leave, I'm not going to see you again for another three weeks. Like that really matters to me. I said it once. Once. First thing I get picked up from the airport this today with white roses, dates planned for tomorrow, you know, baking cookies, takes me to tacos, snuggles me like I only have to tell him once because I trust him. If you have to keep checking in on them, that's showing them you do not trust them. Well, did you do this? Did you do this? Well, it really matters to me. Like all these kind of things. Then you're over pressing it. It just shows that. And then no one wants to help that because now you're just annoying them. Mm. Right? Let people surprise you. Like the first time, is it going to be the best? No, because they're learning. They don't know how to love you yet. They don't know how to date you yet. It's new, I'm sure. But it's one of these, and if you're in a long-term relationship, it's just switching the phrasing of it. It's like, baby, when they're doing something, it's like, baby, I love when you do that. Positive reinforcement. No one needs to be belittled. And if they do do something wrong, one time, one time sitting down, having a conscious conversation when you are regulated and being like, it really hurt me when you did this. I feel this way. Using I feel statements. What I want to do differently next time is, and you go from there, you do that one time. You do not keep checking in. You do not expect disappointment. You don't mother them. You trust them. You chose them, right? So if you chose them and you are a smart, brilliant, sovereign, independent woman that has all this grace and compassion and is studying all this stuff and doing the things, you chose them. Can you trust that they're in your orbit for a reason and they're actually very brilliant and speak to their brilliance, not their daftness? and keep up with that momentum, right? And trust, like, is it going to be perfect? No, not all the time. It isn't, but it's, it's that kind of choice of like, do I want to continue belittling them or do I want to see the effort that they made? I really fucked that up in my last relationship, to be honest, where it was like, it was never perfect. It was never the standard I wanted. And it was like, oh shit. Now looking at that past relationship, it was like, oh, he was trying that whole time, you know, Mm -hmm. that whole time. And so it's like taking that with you into this next relationship, whatever it is, that people are moving into of just like, okay, if I trust me, 
can I trust them to? If I trust this is my standard, because it is, and this is what I embody. You come in, like, literally, he, like, lit candles because he knows I like my candles lit when I'm working. Like, things like that, where it's, like, let them see you do that for yourself and then give them space to be creative and surprise you. It might not be what you think it's going to be. Like, I didn't know I was going to eat flowers baked on this thing and candles and all whatever. It was just, like... I'm just coming to hang out and then they let them surprise you in the, in the little ways that they know how. Yeah. And give, and give admiration. Like, don't just be like, Oh yeah. Like you should do that. Like sit there and like genuinely mean it. Not like good boy. Yay. It's like, Oh my God, this makes me like, there's such a different way of saying it. Like good job. And this makes me feel those are two different ways of phrasing things. And like, they just want to make you happy. Like they're so simple and they just want to make you happy. Like, let them know that you feel happy about it. Like if you're constantly yelling at them, it's like, no one wants to do anyone for anything for anyone that's in that space. Mm, yeah. I love that you mentioned those I feel statements. And I honestly feel that anyone that's enthusiastic about life or enthusiastic about their relationship, they're going to receive more more of that. But especially when we're having arguments or setting a standard, those I feel statements can be game changing because I think we get into that pointing finger mode, like you did this and you're this because you did this rather than I feel like this when you do this behavior because it reminds me of past trauma. Exactly. And it's always remembering it's you and your partner against the problem. It's not you and your partner against each other. Like mm. always remembering that. If it, if we are a team, how do we want to address this problem? It has nothing to do with putting them down or putting you down. Like you didn't know better, so you couldn't do better, but now you know better. Let's let's do something together, together so that we can have more regulation when this happens again. Because honestly, the arguments we have are the arguments we continue to have just in different forms. And so if you can sit there from a regulated space and figure out, okay, so what's the next connection point here? What's the next way we can work through this and continually build on that? Yeah, exactly. Wow. I have loved chatting about all of your relationship stuff, but I'm going to switch gears with my next question because I know you do a lot of like body image work as well. And something in the fitness industry that I find really interesting to watch change is most people come to me because they want to lose weight, right? So they want to lose a certain amount, but it's always coming from this place of self-hatred. And I find when it it comes from a place of self-love and if we can find a way to um, be a little bit more positive about our body, like losing the weight is so much easier. Are there any common themes in your industry or anything you've observed with your own experience with regards to when we make that shift with our body image? Yeah, from switching from self-hatred to admiration. Correct. Yeah, I honestly, I don't even fall with the positive self-love movement because I don't like myself every day. I'm neutral about myself. You know, it's one Mm. of those things where it's like, you can recognize one studying your body, knowing when you're in different states, knowing when your metabolism is slow, knowing about your blood sugar levels, knowing when what cycle you're on, like where you're at in your cycle, because especially as women, we're going to feel about ourselves. We change every day. Like everything about us changes and we fluctuate between, you know, five pounds in general, but even more sometimes if we have different stuff, it's like, this is the body you have. So study it one, because you can't fear something you understand. That is for me, the key. You cannot fear something you actually understand. And then coming into this space of neutrality where it's like, this is the body I have. So instead of wishing that it was something else and waiting and keeping those pants in the fucking back of my closet that I've had since high school, get rid of them. What are you doing? Like, I just taught an entire course on this called Boundless Bonita, where it's like you sit there and it's like, tap in your living sanctuary. Like, what do you do? How do you get into your body? Because you can't, if a lot of us have spent a lot of time disassociating from our body, we've been dieting, we've been over exercising, we've been under eating, we've been overworking, we've been, we don't even know how to have good sex and have good orgasms. Like none of these things are happening for us because we're not in our body because we've been trained not to trust our body. So as we're going through these practices, like where can you start to add more pleasure? Where can you start to add in your senses into your day? That's why I love candles so much. That's why I love textures and things where it's like, can you get into the present moment? And that's how you genuinely, that's how you start to heal your body image. Body image has nothing to do with your externals. I had to gain 40 pounds and I never had more confidence or better sex in my life, which no one says that doesn't get you a nice little advertising sticker and a lot of clicks. Like that doesn't work. People are like, absolutely the fuck man. That's not what I want. But it's true because to love yourself at that kind of 
size. And I'm still a small human. I know that, but that's a lot of weight to have to gain and get comfortable with. But the reason that happened, it was like, this is the size I'm at. I'm going to go buy the clothes that make me feel good. I'm going to, you know, spend a lot of time looking at my body, getting naked, giving myself self-pleasure. This is the body I have. I can't expect anyone to do this for me. And a lot of us outsource our power with dating and apps and for one night stands and whatever it is. And let me drink alcohol to numb the pain and the shame that I feel and sit in this. I'm going to sit here and touch my own body. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to look in the mirror at my own body. When I get out of the shower, I'm going to put my oils and my lotions on really slow so I can touch my body. Instead of thinking this is like this foreign object and I can't wait to lose the weight. I can't get into a different body size and all these kind of things. It's like, this is what you got. Can you learn to love yourself now? And when you get to do that and do the trauma work to regulate your nervous system so your cortisol levels are lower and you can actually get into the body size that is healthy for you. But in that journey of doing that, how can you love yourself a little bit more each day? How can you slow down a little bit more? How can you stop putting the pressure on the future tripping that you're doing and actually get present with the present that's going on right now? Yeah, because that future tripping just adds more cortisol, adds more anxiety because looking into the future is very much anxiety. Looking into the past is very much depression. And I love that sense of body neutrality as well of, you know, like this is my body right now. This is where we're we're at. You know, how does this feel? How does that feel? Something that I found interesting is that you mentioned that Something that actually triggered me is the orgasm piece. I have always had great sex. Like I can't remember many times that I've ever had bad sex and I have no problem orgasming. So I'm really curious. I don't relate to my clients that say they have bad orgasms. So I want to pick your brain. How do you like, how do you teach somebody who can't have good sex or good orgasms? I mean, albeit half of it is the dude as well. But how do you teach someone to like orgasm? It's not even a half of it's the dude. Like, yes, of course we want to do that. We train our partners how to give us orgasms. First off, don't blame the guy. You know, it's one of those things. Get into your own body. Practice with yourself. Do you masturbate? Do you know what that is? But oftentimes the way that it works is we have this dual control model that works for our pleasure portals when it comes to sex. A lot of times we're looking at how can I press the accelerator? Like think of a car. How can I press the accelerator? Can I get more lube? Can I get more vibrators? Can I set the tone? Can I do the candles? Da, 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 da all the things we think sex is, right? What's actually happening? And if you've ever driven a car and you've put your foot on the brake, it doesn't fucking matter how hard you click that accelerator. It's not fucking going anywhere. Your car is not going to move. You Mm. need to figure out how to get the brakes down. So if you're worried about your body image, if you are still in a trauma response, if you're worried about, you know, what you look like at different angles and when the lights on and without lights off, if you've had stored trauma, if you've had sexual trauma, if you've had whatever's happening in your nervous system, it doesn't matter how much lube you throw on that. (laughs) Your brakes need to come off. So you need to start looking at how do you get safe in your body, right? This doesn't happen in the bedroom. This goes into, and this is what I was just talking about, what I was teaching, where it's like, where do you add pleasure in throughout your day? How in your body can you get in taking baths, going for walks, feeling the sun on your face, actually tasting your food, touching your body as you sit places, feeling the clothes, what kind of things like, where can you add pleasure outside of the bedroom and watch that come into the bedroom? If you're only looking at accelerators, if you're only looking at the externals and the porn and the things that we think is sex, and we're not looking at what's actually halting your nervous system and halting that brain, you're not going to get very far. I mean, you're not going to get anywhere. <laughs> you can't. Yeah. That's such a great analogy because it's the same in fitness. And that's why, you know, the Holistic Fitness Podcast, you focus on stress management the whole time because we're all focused on the specific diet we can do, the specific exercise we can do, let's do HIIT, you know, rather than looking at, you know, how do we slow down so your growth hormone can actually grow when you're sleeping and we build the muscle, which is good for the basal metabolic rate and all the things. And it sounds like there's some really similar framework when it comes to your sexual health and relationships and all of that sort of stuff too. Exactly. Because they're two separate things, right? Like they're two Mm. separate models. That's why it's dual. It's not these two nervous system things come together. It's two different parts of the nervous system. We have to look at what the break is and the accelerating work with that, but we can't get anywhere if we haven't addressed the break. Absolutely. It's the same thing with stress. It has been absolutely amazing chatting to you, Laura. (laughs) I've just learned so much from you and your vibe, your energy is so amazing. We do have a closing question on this podcast. Okay. And that is, if you were telling your 20-year-old self just one sentence of advice, what would you tell her? You're going to be okay. Thank you. You're going to be okay. 
definitely go to Asia. I know that's two sentences. You're going to be okay. Go to Asia. <laughs> I feel like you could put one of those like dashes in, in yeah, there. Like, yeah, yeah. One of the long dashes <laughs> that seems super professional. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, it's been wonderful to have you here. Where can people find you? I love it. Thank you so much for having me. I love what you're doing and taking this holistic approach and all that kind of stuff. It, it's amazing. Um, I am over on Instagram. My personal one is it's Laura Patricia Martin. And then our podcasts, our courses, our content, our things of that nature is healing to happy. So healing to happy is that one. So you have to come hang out. You'll probably get a nice little message from my team and then a voice note from me. All the kind of things we like to keep social media actually social. Who would have thought? <laughs> ah, social media actually social and a human response to you. <laughs> Fabulous. Well, it's been amazing to have you, Laura. Definitely, I will add all of Laura's details to the bio. Thank you, everybody, for watching. And until next time, keep shining. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.